0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. What do the Dive Bar in Sacramento, Amazon.com, AquaPlanet Ilsan in Korea, Cabela's, and Bigelow Lab in Maine all have in common? They all have unique and intricately designed aquarium systems designed by Tenji Incorporated, an aquarium design and build company with offices in California and Maine. Mark Faulkner, one of the principals and co-founders of this inspired and talented team of experts, transformed a shared dream into our powerhouse aquarium reality. Join us as Mark and I discuss the complexities of aquarium building and design, 10G style. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
0: Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Mark Faulkner, co-founder of Tenji Incorporated. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's great to be
1: here. Thanks for having me, Roy.
0: So, as we kind of like to do, I'd like to ask a couple of personal questions. First, before we get into the business and talk more about Tenji, and all the amazing aquariums and systems that you have all designed. So uh, let me ask you first, when did you get your very first fish in aquarium, and what was the setup like, if you remember? Also, how old were you?
1: <laughs> well, I got my first real aquarium, I, I think, in college. Uh, I went to North Carolina State University. <laughs> and I wanted to buy an aquarium because I thought it would be a cool thing to have in my dorm room. It was a super basic setup, just a standard like twenty-nine gallon tank with a hang-on-the-back filter, and I, I immediately was fascinated by it. I had no idea going into it where it would lead me, and I had no idea that I would be so engaged with the animals and trying to provide them, you know, healthy habitat. And I had also had no idea how complex aquarium systems were in terms of you know water chemistry, and so I kind of started down a rabbit hole. Um, was a kind of an impulse purchase. So yeah, college, I was college age, probably 19 or 20 years old, and it kind of started an obsession. (laughs) And immediately, you know, started keeping larger aquarium vessels and um, started, and this was in 93 or 94. And within a year or so, I had a 100 gallon reef aquarium doing kind of the Berlin, the old Berlin
0: style method. And, uh, and so yeah, what, what and, was, it kind of went what, from there. <laughs> what was your first fish? Do you remember in the very first aquarium you got? Uh,
1: I think it was, it was probably a, a poor choice. I think it was an Oscar in a 29 gallon tank and which quickly outgrew the tank and, and I uh, had to find a more sizable home for it rather quickly.
0: That's great. Now, were there any other influences that kind of got you sort of geared toward the aquarium side of things, and even the aquarium, public aquarium field? Did you you didn't intend to go into that when you were in college? Did you?
1: Uh, no, I didn't. I was I was a business major and. You know, it quickly turned into a hobby of mine. And one of the biggest influences at the time was Fama, you know, the, the magazine. I, I would get it each month and just kind of devour each magazine that came out each month. And, you know, books, the Dell Book and Sprungs books were, were are highly influential on me uh, at that point in time. And it's interesting now, I know both of those guys rather well, and you can call them colleagues now, but, you know, in the early 90s, they were huge influences on me and my involvement in the in the hobby. So, yeah, I I quickly, when I graduated from North Carolina State with a business degree, I turned around, went back back to school and got a marine science degree because my intent was to turn my, uh, my hobby into my career. So I went back to school for a couple of more years, got a, a bachelor's of science in marine biology. And... Uh, That's when I decided that I wanted to turn it into my profession.
0: So tell us a little bit about, I guess, your professional career, you know, real briefly before you got involved and kind of came up with with your uh, partners with Tenji.
1: So, yeah, so... Uh, I went to school at uh, UNC Wilmington to get a, a marine biology degree and my whole purpose for going to I guess before let me back take a step back before I decided to get a marine science degree I was investigating what it takes to work at a public aquarium and and to be an aquarist for a public aquarium most require a degree in marine science or a related field so that's when I decided well if I want to follow my passion I'm, I need to get the background required to get into the you know get a foot in the door and so I uh, I went I went back to school got the marine science degree and then started applying for internships right before graduation and I got an, an internship at, at Monterey Bay Aquarium it was a three-month internship so I packed up my little Honda Civic and I drove across the country for a temporary three-month job and uh, I never left <laughs> I'm still in monterey today
0: that's amazing. Yeah, it doesn't happen yeah. that, that uh, often for people, so yeah.
1: Yeah. it's great. So, so, so a little bit about, if you're interested in my career at Monterey, I um, I was an intern and then that rolled over into a term position working with the sea otters and the sea otter exhibit. So I was a sea otter trainer for a short stint and then I uh, got a full-time permanent position as an aquarist. And then senior aquarist, and uh, before I left Monterey, I was a curator there for a couple of years. So, kind of um, got to see uh, several different sides of Monterey Bay Aquarium's husbandry department. Yeah, when I worked there.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I know a lot of a lot of people that come out of school, and you know they don't get a job immediately, kind of like you did. So that's great. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Tenji now. First of all, I was curious how you came up with the company name Tenji. What exactly does that mean, and how does that apply to the company?
1: Well, I think the two other gentlemen, um, Ed Seidel, Andy Case, and I started Tenji, and we wanted to come up with a name that wasn't aqua something or water something, something different, something that kind of stood out. And we had done some, my partner at the time, Andy, had done some consulting in Japan, and the word "tingy" kind of stuck out to him because the short definition for "tingy" is is an exhibit or a display. The long definition is taking multiple kind of unrelated items and putting them together into one aesthetically pleasing, you know, display. So we thought it fit what we were trying to do as a company, and it was interesting and unique enough that it, it stood out. So that's how we landed on the name "tingy" for the business.
0: Okay, so go and explain a little bit about how Tenji began, mm-hmm. when, how, and why, and how long you guys have been in business so far.
1: Yeah, so around 2000, the three of us, Ed, Andy, and myself, were, you know, decided that we were getting some inquiries outside of the aquarium on, you know, how do you do this? Can you consult with this? And we thought, hey, this seems like an opportunity. And the three of us started the business, and we were doing it um, nights and weekends and vacation days and slowly over the course of about five or six years uh, the business grew to the point where it could support us uh, full-time. I did Tenji nights, weekends, vacation days for about seven years. I left Monterey Bay Aquarium in 2007, the beginning of 2007 when we landed a, a big job that could support us, uh, support us all full-time.
0: So you basically didn't like sleep for seven years until you left? I still don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's never-ending.
1: Yeah, but it's great. I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. For a long time there, there were two jobs. And now it's, now it's one job, but it's still full-time plus. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Though.
0: So uh, what do you believe makes Tenji unique? There are obviously some other companies out there. Um, what kind of mm-hmm. makes you guys unique? And what are your strengths, both with your uh, employees and uh, the different sections within your company?
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the things that makes us unique is that we offer turnkey product. We can come in and conceptualize new exhibits, uh, new systems, and help on the you know the very initial stages, the front end the conceptual design development. We can see that design through the design development process, detailed design, and then all the way through to the build. And, and there aren't Many companies that have those capabilities, you know, there are design companies and there are build companies, but there aren't too many that do, you know, provide the whole package. And then I think what makes us also unique is that our perspective is different than that we we're all keepers. At one time, you know, we we had our hands in the water. We we know what it takes. We know what good access to the top of the tank is like. We know what good access to the filtration system needs to be, so that the systems can be maintained. And you know, the the golden rule for. For designing a, an aquarium or a life support system, is that if you can't maintain it, if you can't get access to it, you know, over time, it's the aesthetics of the display and of the the life support system are going to be compromised, and you know, the end product, you know, a year, two years, five years down the road, is going to not look as pristine as it could as if if you had good access to it. So I think we bring we bring that keeper aspect and view to all of our designs because we try to, and there's there's always this, there's always a bit of a struggle too between the exhibit design, the front of house design and the back of house design because space, especially in public aquariums is a premium. So typically the front of house designers try to squeeze the back of house space and the back of house people are trying to push the back of house space to give better access. So we find that we can communicate really well with architects and with exhibit designers to find that kind of sweet spot where the exhibit design teams get what they want and then we are able to kind of represent the owners and the the keepers so that they have easy-to-maintain and easy-to-access display tanks. And then as far as our strengths, for the different, say, departments in our business. We have a very, very talented designer on staff. Uh, His name's Bob, Bob Bassical. He was the lead exhibit designer for Monterey Bay Aquarium's um, outer bay wing of their facility with a big open ocean tank and all the permanent jelly displays. And he has decades of design experience. He's a super talented guy. And so we've actually in the last you know, five or so years have been doing more of the exhibit design. We've been doing front of house and back of house design. So Bob's super efficient and he's a fantastic drafts person as well as uh, artist. And he can create beautiful renderings that really give the client a taste of what what exhibits or displays are going to look like. And then we have um, Ed and myself, we typically do more of the project management and budgeting and uh, the business aspect of it. Um, Andy, who who started the business with us, he's no longer with Tingy. but Ed and myself co-run uh, the, the company, and we bring with us that unique perspective from the husbandry side of things. And then we have a, a team of very talented installers that take as much pride in the aesthetics of the piping and making sure that pipes are plum and level. And we take as much pride in, in the back of house design and build out as we do the, 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 uh, the interior of the tank. And then we have, in addition to that, we've got a whole network of vendors and engineers and things that we can bring on board as needed that, that we've built, this network that we've built over the last you know 20 years or so of being, being in the industry. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers you know, what I feel like our strengths are of our business.
0: Okay, great. Now, um, I know uh, on your website you talk about LEED, and, mm-hmm. and that's obviously you know, something more important for commercial setups. Can you maybe real briefly explain what LEED is and why that's important?
1: Yeah, so you know, LEED is a rating system for buildings and a rating system that reflects how green a building is and our involvement with lead is typically is somewhat limited i mean typically the lead process is driven by the architect or by the owner and we work with the architects with the building engineers to spec the most energy efficient pumps the most water friendly systems possible so our involvement is somewhat limited at that we did have a project unfortunately it, it never materialized but we were working on a lead project where we were reclaiming water change water it was going to be a large freshwater planted tank, and all of that water was going to be captured during water changes and then used to water and irrigate the landscape. So, coming up with creative things like that is typically our involvement with uh, with the lead process.
0: Okay. Now, before we talk about some of the specific systems and aquariums, I wanted to you know point out that again, you do build commercial and private systems Mm -hmm. so what's your criteria for taking a request or or working with somebody
1: none (laughs) if they're interested um in having a professional you know aquarium design and build firm come in and, and take over a project then you know we're happy to be involved i mean typically we we have a hard for residential installations, we have a hard time competing on smaller scale systems with local local maintenance firms that do builds. But in the Monterey area we have built some smaller systems and residences um, that we actually, you know, continue to maintain. But in terms of a, a criteria for taking a, a request, it usually ends up the criteria usually ends up being budget. So but we, we do relatively small jobs. Um, we'll build a one-off, like, uh, control system and, you know, and sell it. Or if we've been contacted recently by a, a film production company that wants, you know, half a dozen relatively small glass starfire tanks so that they can hold animals to film. So, you know, it's, yeah, I guess the other criteria is our availability and how busy we are. But, yeah, so that. We don't, really, we don't really have a set. Like, if you don't meet this criteria, then we can't work with you. It's We're pretty open, and we love helping people out as much as we can.
0: Well, that's great. I want to get more into the meat of the projects, and I know you'll do a great job describing some of the amazing systems and aquariums you have. But let's uh, take a short break first, and we'll continue our discussion with Mark Faulkner, principal and co-founder of Penji Incorporated, after these messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. She's sitting curled up on my lap as we speak. (laughs) Beautiful Bella's my long-haired Dotson. She was thrown out of a pickup truck going 30 miles an hour, and she disappeared into the woods with the wild animals, uh, boars and coyotes. About four weeks later, she just appeared as she was a mess. Her fur was matted. She scratched almost nonstop. My friend suggested that I order this stuff called Dinovite.
1: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859 Four
0: two eight one thousand. She cobbles it up. She has been itch free ever since, and her fur is gorgeous. Anyone out there who has a rescue dog, start them on a DinoVite diet for at least a ninety day period. They bond better with the people who take good care of them. They are going to be your buddy for a very very long time.
1: Eight five nine four two eight one thousand. Eight five nine four two eight one thousand. D i n o oh. v i t e dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's
0: talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Mark Faulkner of Tenji Incorporated Aquarium Build and Design. So thanks for that great introduction. Mark, I, I wanna talk a little bit more, a little bit more specific now. Can you uh, tell us, do you remember what was the company, what was Tenji's very first build?
1: The first build we did was for a client and, a, and, and still a client and a good friend of ours, Steve Dennis, in Carmel Highlands. And we built a, I don't know, it's about 300-gallon freshwater planted aquarium for him that's it, still running today. We help him when he goes on vacation, we'll, we'll do the maintenance for him. But it's still still beautiful, and that was, gosh, two, 2001, so that was over 16 years ago, and Tank's still, still chugging along.
0: And any specific you know types of plants or fish that were. Yeah, gonna... well,
1: it was an Amazon ish display, a school of uh, uh, cardinal tetras and discus. And at that time, I mean, that tank has, has morphed over the years, but at the onset, we did, you know, South American plants, swords, and some low foreground plants and so relatively easy to maintain we CO2 controlled through pH controller um, and uh, at the time I think we (laughs) installed uh, power compacts on it but now now he's on all LED
0: lights (laughs) we
1: upgraded his light fixtures a couple of years ago
0: so You know, after you talked about that a little bit, can you walk us through the process from start to finish? Um, Yeah, I mean, you can either talk about a residential or a commercial project, Mm -hmm. whichever is easier. Over the years,
1: there is no typical. Every project is unique, and projects come to us in a variety of fashions. I mean, oftentimes we're we're bidding on drawing sets that were produced by an engineering firm for us to build so so that's you know one way for us to get involved on some of the commercial projects that we do some of the larger installations that we do we're actually not oftentimes in those projects we're not involved in the design but we get hired to to do the build out of them. Sometimes, which is a scenario that we do like, we're often contacted for, say, a large residential installation, either the owners doing their homework or or the, the architects doing their homework. And they oftentimes call public aquariums and say, who would you hire? Who would you use to design and build a a large you know residential installation and and we get lots of references from the public aquariums that we've worked for so we would team up with the architect and oftentimes we're hired by the owners but we're working with the architects and the, and the engineers that are designing the house. And we get brought in really early in the process when the house is just on paper, right? And we, we're able, that's the scenario that we like best, when we're able to have a say in where and how big the area for mechanical, you know, the equipment is. And oftentimes that's on maybe a floor below in a mechanical room and we can do everything from telling them where to put floor drains and telling them how to treat the walls in the space so that, you know, it's a, a wet location environment. Can add, you know, sinks and fixtures and we can tell them exactly how much and what type and, and where we want power located. So we're involved pretty heavily in the, the front end of the design and then that process is long so i mean there there've been residential installations where we were contacted early on in the process, and the build wasn't complete for three or four years. So these things can drag on, as you might imagine. But in terms of the larger residential installations, that's how we are typically involved. And we're also involved in the structural side of things. So we'll provide like floor loading requirements for the tank vessels and how the tank vessels are attached to the house in case of uh, any type of seismic or earthquake event. And so we work closely with the designers and the engineers throughout the process. Yeah, that's right. I forgot you guys have the whole earthquake issue there. It's yeah, be, uh, yeah. Everything <laughs> so. everything needs to be uh, reinforced and captured so we so things don't dance around when the earth starts to move. <laughs> yeah.
0: So now I wanted to actually ask you about. I was in Sacramento visiting a friend of mine at, at UC Davis, another uh, fish veterinarian, and mm-hmm. uh, we did actually uh, we walked into uh, passed by, and so I had to walk into the dive bar. So can you tell tell us a little bit about the dive bar?
1: Yeah, that that was a while ago. I wasn't the lead on that project, but I was involved um, in terms of structural. That was a huge um, undertaking. That that tank is it's about seven thousand gallons. I, I can't remember the length. It's probably forty feet long, seven feet deep, and roughly seven feet front to back. The window is kind of cantilevered out, and it's perched up above where the bartenders stand. So the the bartenders when they're working, they're actually working below the tank. The tank cantilevers out from the wall and the patrons when they're on the other side of the bar they can look up into this angled window that's angled down towards them. The steel structure that went into supporting that and cantilevering, you know, supporting that cantilevered load, it was amazing. It they, they an engineering firm designed that and it's it's all steel construction that uh, ties into the main building structure the steel goes all the way down to the basement and then crosses the opposite side of the room to support that that cantilevered load and so all the life supports in the basement And the the interesting thing that, you know, about that tank is that a mermaid swims in it, uh, in the evenings when the bar is open. So, um, until she or he, I think mermen actually get in there as well. We'll swim, do laps back and forth across the tank. We built it and then we handed it off to a local maintenance company. So I actually haven't seen that tank in probably five years. So hopefully when you saw it, it was, it still looked like it was being maintained. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was, and you guys got real authentic mermaids and mermen, right? I mean, they're, they're yeah, not, real life. Yeah. we went okay.
1: to collect. We had a major collection trip to go collect those guys. Secret, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's what I was,
0: That's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hey, I want to talk about the uh, Amazon.com tank. Uh-huh. How did you end up getting that job? And I mean, it was amazing, really beautiful. And I, I you know, if you Thank don't you. mind describing it a little bit as well to uh, the listeners, but can you talk us through how that all happened and uh, everything that's in it.
1: Yeah, actually, that's one of my favorite builds. It's not a huge, I mean, it's it's a large tank. It's 18 feet long, two feet front to back, two feet tall. So it's volume wise, it's, you know, seven or 800 gallons. So it's not huge in terms of the projects that we do, but it's probably one of my, one of my favorite installations. We were contacted by Amazon.com, their director of horticulture that uh, oversees all of their all of their outside landscaping, and they have a massive kind of two-acre greenhouse outside of Seattle where they're you know, constantly growing plants. Anyway, we were contacted by him. He was a, um, a planted aquarium enthusiast, a hobbyist, and he had a vision for this space. And so we worked with, with him and the interior designers for the space, We were given some direction on tank length and shape, and then we took it from there and designed that. Our responsibility was to design the tank vessel, the support stand, and then all of the life support. And um, we were working with uh, Tom Barr, I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Bar, but he's one of the kind of leading aquatic plant mines in the country. And then uh, Steve Waldron, who is the uh, local guy up in um, up in Seattle, who has a a dedicated freshwater planted aquarium store in Seattle. That's fantastic. So those guys were responsible for the interior of the tank, all of the the scaping and the planting. And then Steve has has since you know, he's responsible for all the ongoing maintenance. But in terms of our work, the, the life support system, we have a, a really large oversized sump. Um, it's an MRC, one of their ice sumps, the white PVC sumps that are beautiful. Um, those guys do such such good work. We are using kind of high-end stuff, a, a biz pumps, um, one of their A400s to kind of drive the, the system. So the water... Flows through overflows in the tank down to the sump through a series of bag filters. Water is being pushed back to the tank with the abyss. There's a, a bio tower, a degas tower inside the tank. Actually, it's not doing a lot of degas because we, we sealed it pretty well to prevent CO2 off-gassing. And then we have, uh, we repurposed an, an, an O2, an oxygen reactor for CO2. So we're introducing CO2 into this fiberglass chamber where it goes under pressure and goes into solution and then that water gets sent directly back up to the tank. All of this is controlled. We've been using the uh, Neptune Systems Apex control systems for a while now and kind of adapting them to a more uh, industrial and commercial environment by putting them into NEMA, you know, waterproof enclosures and using kind of industrial quality float switches or ultrasonic level sensors. And so this system is is highly controlled in terms of automation. We have the system set up to do daily kind of fractional water changes, roughly 10% volume per day. So in the morning before the lights come on, there's an actuated valve that opens and it drains a a specific amount of volume out of that oversized sump. The actuated valve closes, and then another actuated valve opens to fill the sump back up to an operating level. So that happens daily. We also have that second actuated valve set up to maintain operating level in the sump for for top-off or evaporative loss. We have all of the nutrient dosing that the plants require. That's all done through dosing pumps, we we set it up so that Steve could mix up batch solutions of the uh, macronutrients, you know, in, in P and K, and then uh, another batch of trace elements, and that the quantity of those can be programmed and set up so that, you know, the plants are getting exactly what they need. They're never nutrient-limited, and that gives them the best opportunity to to outcompete algae and the method that we based it all off was uh, Tom bars estimative index which is a we've been employing on on all of our planted aquariums for for a number of years now we found it to be the easiest and most reliable and the best method for you know having exceptional plant growth and practically no algal growth so that all the controls were set up to facilitate his estimative index method so we set up the system we got it operating up and running did all the commissioning making sure that the system operated as designed and then we handed it over to tom barr and to steve waldron to to do all the aquascape i can't take any credit for the planting and for the way the tank is escaped is that was all those guys we were more of the nuts and bolts to make sure the system worked as as they required
0: now, do they, um, I'm just curious, since it's Amazon, do they go with just Amazonian plants or do they uh, just do kind of a mix? No,
1: there's a mix. There's a mix. But they do have, I mean, the fish species is, is, is just a huge school of cardinal tetras, which is pretty amazing to see in person. Cool. That and, you know, hundreds of Amano shrimp. <laughs> Those are pretty oh, much all there are in the, in the tank as far as, uh, as far as fish and invertebrate life.
0: Nice. Okay. So let me ask you real briefly too, then you guys, I noticed on your website, you've done a lot of work for Cabela's. How did mm-hmm. you get involved with Cabela? And can you maybe talk about one or two of the systems that you really like?
1: Yeah. So, well, Cabela's was one of those projects where we oftentimes get uh, opportunities to bid on pre-designed life support systems. And that, that's that's what Cabela's were. So, so they would send us the RFP, you know, request for proposal, and which included, you know, the, the engineer drawings for the system. And and we would bid on them. And we probably, I don't know, over the years, we've bid on 20 systems, and we've probably won about 13 of those bids. So um, we had a pretty good success <laughs> in terms of, of being awarded the Cabela's projects. And the systems were pretty much all, more or less, each system would evolve slightly, but they're more or less the same. The tank shapes were more or less the same. And the life support system design was more or less the same for each of the systems. So in terms of a favorite, they're all more or less the same. Some installs were easier than others. Uh, sometimes we were doing installs in, in Wisconsin in the middle of the winter. And, you know, we had hundreds of feet of three and four and six inch PVC pipe delivered and it was sitting outside in the frozen mud. And, you know, so that was probably one of my least favorite just because of the circumstances involved in in the construction process. But we got pretty good at them um, in terms of cranking them out pretty quickly. The last, I think, couple that we did, we would show up to an empty life support room. Uh, the tank would be in place and we could plumb a rather complicated life support system with big pipe we would start Monday morning and by Thursday afternoon we'd have water running through it so we would bring in a team of our in-house installers along with a mechanical contractor that we use from Michigan we would get two of their guys to come in and help us and we would crank through the life support system and we were also responsible for the rock work for those the last I would say 10 10 installations that we did we we built out the mountain and the waterfalls, and then the Cabela's would set all of the taxidermy animals on top, and then our rockwork guys would come back in and kind of make it look seamless around the attachment points for those for those taxidermied animals. As you know, I don't know if you know or not, but Cabela's is now a part of. I, they are if they haven't been already, have been bought out by Bass Pro Shops, and so those jobs kind of came to an end. About for us, um, they haven't built any new stores. Recently, so we haven't built any Cabela stores in the last eight, ten months or so.
0: Okay, that's right. I think I vaguely remember mm-hmm. that. So, hey, I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you about the uh, Aqua Planet uh, mm-hmm. exhibit. Can you maybe uh, describe that a little bit and talk about that briefly?
1: Yeah, so those are some interesting shaped jellyfish tanks, arched jellyfish tanks that were installed in an aquarium in South Korea. Our involvement in that process. We were hired by Reynolds, you know, the acrylic manufacturer to help design the tank in terms of flow dynamics to make sure the tanks would be appropriate for jellies. We have a lot of jellyfish experience from from our hands-on experience at Monterey. I was a jelly keeper for a while, and the, Ed also has quite a bit of jelly experience. So we are often hired to design jelly tanks, and so Reynolds reached out to us when they had this unique tank shape that had never been built before, and we were able to produce some computer models of flow to make sure that the proper velocity was getting to all of the corners of the tank to keep the jelly suspended, but not to cause any damage. And so they hired us to do that. We designed the tank vessels and then Reynolds finished the build. And we did not do the installation on that one. We were more involved in the front end of that project.
0: And these are like, they're kind of like these uh, enormous arches, right? Yeah, arches, you actually walk under them and you can look
1: up and see the, you know, jellies floating over your head and there's a pair of them.
0: Yeah, which is pretty interesting. I mean, keeping the jellies off of the sides, you know, in in a non-circular kind of system must have been uh, pretty interesting for you guys.
1: Yeah, it was a design challenge for sure. And that was one of Ed Seidel's projects. He was the lead on that one.
0: So you've built many different types of tanks and systems. Do you prefer freshwater-planted or marine reef tanks? Oh, yeah, I can't
1: say. (laughs) I love them both. I was really, really into freshwater-planted aquariums for a long time um, as a hobbyist, and so that definitely holds a special place. I mean, they're so different, though; it's hard to compare. I, but I, I've kind of, I had kind of stepped away from keeping my own tanks for for quite a while uh, after I left uh, Monterey. But we recently, well, I would say about four years ago, we we started designing a new showroom space, and I wanted a nice reef tank in the showroom, and so we set it up, and and it was my it was kind of it was and still is my baby, and so I actually have been really enthralled and reinvigorated with the hobby, just maintaining and setting up and maintaining this reef tank that we have in our showroom. So, you know, they both provide a different aesthetic experience. I mean, uh, there's nothing that compares to sitting in front of a beautifully aquascape freshwater planted aquarium. It's serene. it's, It's hard to compare anything to that. But the technique is, there's more or less a recipe. You know, obviously there's the artistic side of creating a natural looking scape, but once you have that, the maintenance of it is there's a recipe whereas, you know, reef keeping is a little more challenging in providing that absolutely stable environment that that their SPS corals need if they're going to be colorful and thrive. So, I really like both of them. I Have quite a bit of experience with both of them, but I can't, I can't choose one over the other because they're so they're so
0: different. Two kids, you can't say you like one better than the other. I, yes, I get in, it. I get exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, unfortunately, we're out of time. Did you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our listeners?
1: Well, I'm sure your listeners are all uh, aquarium experience, aquarium. People and you know, I I think I'm constantly and continually you know after being in the hobby and the profession for decades now, I'm I'm still kind of in love with what I do. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's a teaching and learning tool that's kind of unrivaled. You know, there's where else can you get biology and physics and art, you know, animal care. And it's just, it's a rabbit hole that you can go down as deep as you want. And there's really no other thing that, that I've found that is so intriguing. So final words is, you know, keep it up. And if you get frustrated with the hobby, just don't give up. And and then the other thing, I, I guess final words is, I really think people need to be paying attention to what's happening in the wild with coral reef and reef, coral bleaching and global warming and i think the hobby is going to change considerably as we continue to lose more and more of our wild reefs and you know hopefully the aquarium hobby is a source of inspiration for people to want to kind of protect protect the uh the wild reefs as well as you know freshwater systems as well so anyway those are my final words
0: (laughs) well thanks very much and thanks again for joining us i want to thank you and i also want to thank our producer mark winner for making the show possible Please be sure to check out Mark Faulkner's webpage, which will be on uh, our Aquarium Mania site for his episode. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium blog on Pet Life Radio, and if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's d-r-r-o-y at petliferadio.com. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores and keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and definitely keep an eye out for the latest and greatest builds from Tenji and